Hey, I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. According to studies, the phrase thank you has become so habitual that in most cases we say those words without any true sense of thankfulness or gratitude at all. Emiliana Simon-Thomas is the Science Director of the Greater Good Science Centre at the University of California, Berkeley. She earned her Doctorate in Cognition, Brain and Behaviour at UC Berkeley and is a leading expert on the neuroscience and psychology of compassion, kindness, gratitude and other pro-social skills. Well, she currently helps run the Expanding Gratitude Program at the Greater Good Science Centre and has presented on the science of happiness and compassion to the Dalai Lama and audiences worldwide. Today, I'm connecting with Emiliana to talk about the power of gratitude and to learn how we can enhance our daily lives by being deeply and authentically grateful. Anna, it's such a delight to have you here on the Eudaimonia podcast. You're sitting outside in Berkeley at the moment. That's right. That's right. I'm on a wonderful university campus and the flowers are blooming. It's springtime and I'm just so lucky to, to be able to enjoy this moment with you. Well, there's much to be grateful for there. And I'm really, really excited about this particular topic. I know personally for me that gratitude has been a really powerful tool, especially when I'm not feeling the greatest about life. And you've obviously spent many, many years studying why gratitude feels so good and how it can truly inspire us to appreciate our life at a much deeper and more meaningful level. Now, while you were earning your doctorate at UC Berkeley, you focused a lot of your research on negative states, so like fear or aversion. It was only post-doctorate that you decided to switch your focus to pro-social states, uh, things like compassion and awe. What compels you to make this change and has it made a difference to the way you live your life outside of the research lab? What a great question. And there's sort of a short answer and a longer answer. I'll start with the short one. What compelled me to shift my focus to this space of pro-social emotion? These are feelings like compassion and gratitude and love of humanity and awe. These kinds of states really were somehow much more represented in my life at that moment because I had just become a parent. Mm. So I had my first daughter about, I don't know, 26 hours after filing my dissertation. <gasps> oh, wow. And uh, I was on my way to a postdoc to continue to study the neural pathways that help us integrate emotional feelings with decisions and higher order thinking. And, um, I just felt suddenly moved not to commute a long time away from my newborn and to try to figure out a way to think more about these feelings I was having about mm. really having a profound urge to nurture and care give and 
And I was very interested in how those feelings were influencing my decisions personally and professionally. So that's the short answer. Has it changed the way that you personally approach life and certainly the way you approach parenting, having an, an, a scientific understanding of pro-social emotion? Absolutely. Uh, it's for me, I'm, I'm just very lucky that this is what I have to understand for my job and I teach it all the time. And because of my sense of integrity, I sort of feel like I have to at least put a good fourth effort at walking the talk, right? <laughs> yeah. I have to do it myself. I have to apply the same insights that I know work for people in general to myself and also talk about them with my children and my family. Um, it's not something you can force on someone, but if you model it and d discuss it and bring it up and uh, make it a topic of conversation in other contexts like uh, sports teams or books that we're reading or even meals that we're sharing, it becomes just a more ingrained part of day-to-day -day life. That comes up so often in these, in these podcasts, Emiliana, is that it's often just about setting the example, just living the traits and the characteristics that we value most and then allowing other people to decide if they'd like to follow suit. That's obviously what you're doing in terms of gratitude and these other pro-social emotions. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> right. Let's, let's talk specifically about gratitude. A lot of people may say that they're very grateful people. They, you know, are very polite and say thank you all the time or think about the things that they're thankful for. But it seems to me that gratitude is actually more than just our words and our thoughts. Is this true? Is there a deeper element to gratitude that maybe many of us are overlooking? So it's really easy to get into the habit of a really shallow kind of gratitude, as you really nicely described. We can walk around just kind of very loosely saying, hey, thanks to another person or thinking, oh, I'm lucky that this is happening in my life. And while that is better than no gratitude at all, it's certainly not as powerful as really thinking more deeply and reflecting on and savoring what's good in your life in a regular fashion. Mm. So just like physical exercise, if you want to get fit, you can't just take a five-minute walk you know, once a week or just rely on whatever incidental movement you have to do throughout your day just as a function of your regular life. You actually have to commit to truly dedicating specific intervals of time to exercising your body, and that gives you fitness. And the same goes for gratitude. And the deeper form of gratitude involves really explaining or, or, or narrating or documenting or journaling what it is that's good in life that is outside of yourself, that's mm. coming from something that isn't your own effort, that isn't your own doing, but is either something kind of mystical and self-transcendent, or in my view, the most powerful kind of gratitude is, uh, is, is really acknowledging and valuing the effort that other people um, spend on the goodness that you get to enjoy in life. So can we really notice how other people are contributing to our goodness, whether we know them or not, right? Is it a person walking by that has a colorful sweater on? Can yeah. we notice that for a minute and revel in the delight of, of that visual experience? And 
if we're really courageous, actually take a moment to say to them, hey, you know, your sweater is so <laughs> wonderful and it's brought me a moment of joy. Thank you for, you know, make, taking the time and putting the effort forth to, to be beautiful in this, in this moment. So, so really when we say thank you by describing what it is that other people are doing, acknowledging the effort that they're putting into whatever it is that they're doing or have done that has benefited you and describing how it benefited you, the gratitude becomes supercharged. It becomes much more interesting, deep, and powerful in both your own right, in uplifting others, and in strengthening your social bonds with others. What I love there is the word savor. You use the word savoring things, savoring life. And it takes me back to the movie Gravity with Sandra Bullock a few years ago. I don't know if you saw the movie. And (laughs) And I she's, did. she's in space and she's running out of oxygen. And what was incredible was after walking out of that cinema, having seen that movie, how conscious I became about my own breath. And I was able to savor every breath of, of life that I was able to take here. And I was consciously grateful for the atmosphere. And it's quite powerful to find out that there are many, many, many things in life that we simply take for granted that we could actually stop and savor if we put it in perspective. That's exactly right. Our brains really are not interested in like um, the particular value of any kind of experience that we're having other than the extent to which it keeps track of what happens over and over again and what Mm. happens in association with other things that happen. So we're just soaking in the experiences that occur over life. And we're also keeping track of how what the consequences of various behaviors are. And without any deliberate effort, our nervous system will just remember and easily bring to consciousness information that is kind of arbitrary and easily available to us. In order to savor, we actually have to put forth the effort and and bring to awareness, reflect on the things that are good so that that becomes the habit, so Mm. that that becomes what we easily recall or what easily comes to mind when we're find ourselves in those in-between moments, right? Much of life is exciting and joyful and much of life is difficult and frustrating or even sad. That's all very important. It's part of what it means to be human. But there's quite a few moments in between where we get to decide, right? We get to decide what comes to mind. And if we don't put any effort towards that, we end up just thinking about the things that we're worried about that might have gone wrong earlier or might go wrong later. And and being very self-focused, that's kind of the habit, the reflexive habit that humans will get into. And it takes a little bit of deliberate exercise to get out of that habit and into a habit of savoring. And that is, again, reflecting on the delightful things that you have that are around you, that you get, that you're lucky to enjoy. Mm. And I love your example of oxygen. I love your example of the breath. Oftentimes, uh, actually, one of the classic um, activities that people can do to strengthen gratitude is to do exactly what you did through that movie, which is reflect on something that you have that 
just imagine what it would be like without it. Yeah. Imagine what your life would be if you if you couldn't breathe. I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be a very long life, but <laughs> let's imagine something a little easier for most people, like ice cream. What if you just didn't have ice cream, right? right. Wow. I mean, that would be a, a, a different experience in, in the summertime. And, and, and what it does is it enables you, when you do have ice cream, to really enjoy it uh, to at a different different level than you than you would have otherwise if you just get used to it and think it's you know something you can expect to have all the time so let's get to the science Emiliana when we're in those moments of savoring when when we're in those moments of grateful reflection what is happening to our psychology our physiology and maybe even our physical bodies according to the research that you've uncovered Yeah, so there are three main effects of gratitude-based practices on the brain. One of them is that we begin to less robustly engage the central midline regions of our neocortex that support self-focused thinking. So instead of that habit of, again, worrying or ruminating on what might have gone wrong or will go wrong, we get to use our neural resources, our glucose, our blood flow to actually notice what's happening around us. Mm. We're better at We're better at attending to other people. We're better at seeing what's happening in our environment. Again, we're less consumed by this self-focused thinking. Habits of gratitude and practices of gratitude, because the exercise is thinking about something that's good, that is outside of yourself, it really orients perception to be more attuned to what's outside of yourself. And this is something that has been demonstrated in neuroscience and in psychology research. A second change is that gratitude really um, ramps up our capacity for optimism. As I was explaining earlier, when we practice thinking about things that are good, if we notice what's good, what's beautiful, what brings us joy or contentment or ease or support, whatever it is, when we put bring that to mind more often that becomes our habit of mind and so we become more optimistic people who practice gratitude and people who are more grateful more readily activate reward pathways that represent and signal joy and pleasure in the context of of goodness when good things are happening if you're a grateful person you enjoy them more and you enjoy them longer partly in how you experience them mentally, but also as indicated by measuring activation of reward circuits in the brain. The third part of gratitude that changes physiologically is our relationship to um, other people and goodness. So there are circuits in our brain and pathways that signal goodness and pleasure. And then there are circuits in our brain and pathways that signal um understanding and empathizing with others so mm-hmm. we do we do we make sense of what another person's expression is when we see another person we're constantly trying to figure out are they someone we could interact with in an amicable way when we practice gratitude that's the more organic thought that's the judgment that happens first we see others and we associate them with goodness with pleasure with opportunity and cooperative intent as opposed to seeing others with a more suspicious or vigilant orientation 
So the, so the pathways that represent joy and pleasure become more tightly linked with the pathways that help us understand other people and feel things in relationship to other people. So there are three big ways that the brain changes when people practice gratitude and when people just are lucky enough to be more grateful themselves. What's really cool there, Emiliana, is that I hear that gratitude doesn't just feel good to us. You know, it's not that it makes us feel great on the inside or just feel great on the inside. It actually changes the way that we interact with the people around us. And much of our life and much of our enjoyment of life or not comes from the way that we relate with the world and the people outside of us. And what I heard you saying there is that the brain changes in such a way through gratitude that interrelationship with the people around us is actually enhanced. So our life becomes greater, not just our emotional state. Does that make sense? That's exactly right. You summed it up quite well. That's exactly right. And, and the, the great thing is, is that other people notice this too. People who are more grateful or who score higher on measures of gratitude are more socially appealing. Others trust people who are more grateful. When leaders have more gratitude, they're, they're the people who they mentor and supervise mm. actually like them more and are more willing to follow their lead in various aspects of projects or innovation or, or workplace matters. So, so gratitude is something that is very beneficial for the individual, but also affords these social benefits such that other people realize and appreciate the gratitude in a way that uh, is measurable. That's so cool. Now, some days I can feel a really authentic sense of gratitude for the big things in my life. Like I say, you know, oxygen or life itself or my home, my husband. On other days, I may only be able to muster up gratitude for something very simple like a, a hot cup of tea or my pillow. doesn't matter what we're actually grateful for, Emiliana. Do we need to be thankful for the big things if we want to enjoy the greatest benefits? I think uh, most research would suggest that variety is probably the best approach. And that means that it's fine to embrace those moments of gratitude for the very simple moments when you are feeling less strong or less supported or less confident in yourself and and for whatever reason it, it just it's, it's it feels a little bit too uh, effortful to say thank you out loud in a long and descriptive way to somebody else which i consider the kind of more powerful deeper kind of gratitude i think it's just as well to embrace that moment and that opportunity to be grateful for your warm tea to be grateful for just the ability to sit somewhere quietly for mm. and take deep breaths for five seconds it, it's really it, it's really not um, discriminatory um, if you've got more of a base to start from then and, and you're feeling good about life then <laughs> then go out and do the more challenging gratitude um, I, I think it's okay I, I don't think it matters it, what what's important is that it's a regular habit and that um, you keep at it and you keep at it in a kind of regular mm. and consistent fashion and that it's deep and authentic gratitude not simply a rote thought, oh, I am thankful for my cup of tea, correct? We have to feel it and sense it in our body. You know, for some people, it can start 
with a little bit of inauthenticity. If mm -hmm. gratitude feels really unnatural, sometimes you can just give it a try, even if it feels outside of your comfort zone. Um, I don't think it can be totally um, fake. Uh, I, I think <laughs> that if somebody is trying to exercise their gratitude muscle um, and they're genuinely trying to do it, even if they do it in a way that feels unnatural, it can still be quite powerful. I, I agree with you that there is no reason that that I can think of or that science would suggest a person should just artificially say things that they don't really believe or, or stand mm. behind. So absolutely it needs to be authentic. Although sometimes it can be, it can be a challenge. And when it is a challenge, it's okay that it's not perfect. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So it doesn't have to be perfect. Your gratitude doesn't have to look like anybody else's gratitude. It doesn't have to be exactly what the scientists say it has to be. But as long as you're trying and you're really genuinely aspiring towards this way of revering the goodness that that you have in life and really acknowledging the way that things outside of yourself really contribute to goodness in your life, you're, you're on the right path. That's really empowering. Nice to know that there is no wrong way of doing gratitude, perhaps, or that um, we don't have to seek perfection in the process. Really empowering. One other question, though, is it best to try and seek gratitude in the moment? So as things occur around you, you spoke before about walking down the street and someone presents themselves to you in a beautiful, colorful sweater and it makes you feel a joy. Is it best to understand, appreciate, acknowledge that gratitude there in the moment or is it just as powerful when we get to the cafe and we're sitting there and reflecting back on the sweater to go, wow, I'm really grateful to have seen that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I think that the answer really depends on the experience that you're describing. Mm. In, in that example you gave, uh, which was the one I gave earlier, if you don't say something right then and there, there's an opportunity lost. Mm. That's not to say that, that there's not still a wonderful kind of benefit that comes from even reflecting back on it when you get to the cafe by yourself. But that becomes something that's really internal and about your own benefit. If you want the gratitude to be something that is shared and that really speaks to its capacity to strengthen social bonds, to relay your appreciation to another person so that they understand that you value them and they look to you as a, a person of support and cooperation moving forward forward, then it does make sense to actually seize the moment and to say thank you in the moment that things are happening. That's not to say that you can't write a letter later, or if mm. it's someone that you see frequently, your spouse, a good friend, certainly if you you know, we're rushing through your day and you didn't get a chance to say it and you think, oh, you know what, I really want to go back and make a point of acknowledging and thanking this person. That's still very powerful. It's just if it's someone you've, you won't see again, maybe you do. Maybe you do get more out of seizing the moment. <laughs> now, you touched on this earlier on, um, and I'd like to go a little bit deeper into the subject. Gratitude can be fairly accessible when life is going pretty well. But what about when life is not going great? What if you are in a space of grief or trauma or, or disappointment? When things are dark and turbulent or traumatic, is it realistic or fair even to believe that we can be grateful for anything? You know, I think that it's possible in any moment to take a deep breath, no matter what's happening around you, 
and in that breath, focus on what's joyful and, mm-hmm. and, and what has been joyful and what could be joyful. That said, I would never want to force that on somebody in the throes of profound grief. Mm. I think in the throes of profound grief, the grief is the more important emotional experience. And it's not helpful to try to replace that with gratitude or try to stifle it with gratitude. So when we're in moments of, of strong emotion, I think it's very important to listen to that emotion and to respond to the context that you're in in a way that addresses the causes and context of that particular emotion. So if you're feeling quite angry because somebody has treated you wrongly, it's not appropriate to thank that person, mm. right? That's not the right <laughs> response. In fact, it's a, it's appropriate to try to understand with that person what they make make them understand what what they have done to harm you and and perhaps resolve the situation such that they won't harm you in that same way again moving forward so I don't think gratitude is a kind of panacea that we should, you know, soothe over every other moment in life, particularly the strongly upsetting moments. Again, if we're in despair, often it's better to express our sadness to a close other who can comfort us. And mm. in that moment, maybe the gratitude will kind of burble up organically because yeah we'll feel comforted and we'll feel grateful for this person who is there to support us in this difficult time. So, yeah, I mean, I do think we can notice the positive in any moment, but I don't think it's helpful to force it at the expense of other important emotional information. I guess it comes back to what you mentioned very early on about those in-between moments. So so perhaps our responsibility to ourselves is to reach for gratitude, to practice gratitude in those moments where we do have a little sense of control or agency over where our thoughts are landing. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and I think there's more of those than we often think. Mm. I mean, our emotions are constantly kind of um, guiding our experience, our mental life, day in and day out, moment to moment. But we're not always experiencing a strong emotion. And, and the times in between are when habits can prevail and drive our experience in one direction or another. And those are the moments where we, again, have more purchase. And if we can bias those towards gratitude, it's going to contribute to a happier and healthier life. I want to talk about mental illness, depression in particular. I have experienced depression and I know that when you're in this dark fog of depression, there's a lot of guilt that comes along with that as well because it's very difficult to feel good about anything and then you feel guilty for not being able to feel good about anything. Is it possible, is it beneficial for anyone who is experiencing depression to try and incorporate gratitude in some way into their daily practice? You know, I'll start with saying that I'm not a clinician, and so I can't really offer clinical advice. I'll follow that with, as long as a person who is experiencing a depressive disorder is under the 
care of a clinician who is treating them properly with the appropriate clinical intervention, I think there's no harm in adding a gratitude practice to Mm. whatever else is going on. And it may be that the gratitude practice in that context feels a little bit more forced. It may be that, you know, writing down good things isn't something that comes easily when you're in the throes of deep depression. But intellectually, you still know that there are good things in the world. And, mm-hmm. and there's, it, it's possible to, to just write them down anyway. And that kind of exercise, I feel like, is at least a start. It's at least a start in the direction of sort of training your, your perceptual apparatus to notice what it is that is good in life that is out there for you. Again, I'm not a clinician, and, and I would never advocate gratitude as a treatment for any kind of disorder, but I do think it could be a promising supplement, assuming that a person is under the care of a qualified clinical therapist. It's really empowering to know there are ways and opportunities that we have to change the habits of our own mind, correct? And to change the way that we interact with the world and the way that we acknowledge the world and the way we appreciate the world. And it might feel forced at times, but there are ways that we can change our habitual thinking and feeling. Yeah, I mean, we grow up our most of our lives getting lots of input from the outside. Our parents tell us certain things about how to feel and how to behave, our teachers, our friends, our culture. There's all this information that we're absorbing about what it means to be a person and not a lot of explicit instruction for how to organize that and and Mm. perhaps deliberately form our sense of self. Uh, We go through adolescence and we try to figure it out in a lot of different ways. Young adulthood is focused on other matters of achievement and success and then family. And at some point in life, there's this moment, I think, where many people go, wait a minute, who am I and why do I feel and think the way that I think and feel? And, and a lot of people believe it's, it's just genetics and it's Mm. just, you know, life history and, and there's nothing you can do about it. But actually in the last 40 years, neuroscience has flipped that Uh, belief on its head and shown that actually we have a tremendous amount of purchase over our mental life. And while it takes time and practice, for some things it might take as long to shift a habit as it took to make it. So Mm -hmm. if you've got a habit that has come from, you know, 25 years of (laughs) relationships that look a certain way, it can take a a lot of effort and a lot of time to, to, you know, unlearn that habit and relearn a new one. Um, but what we do know for certain is that the brain is malleable and that it will respond to practice and effort and behavior in ways that are tractable and measurable and influence our well-being. Which leads me to my last question then. Let's talk about practices and behaviors that we can undertake on a daily basis to experience more gratitude and enhance it in our daily lives. So this is a question I ask all of my guests. Can you share a morning reminder, Emiliana? So this might be a a ritual or a mantra or a daily intention that can help my listeners amplify gratitude in their lives. 
Yeah, well, for me, here's when I do my gratitude. I am lucky enough to ride my bicycle to my work every morning. Mm -hmm. And it's a moment outdoors. I'm by myself. I'm moving quickly through space <laughs> on, this, <laughs> yeah. on this apparatus. And I'm, I'm in my natural environment. I mean, I live in Berkeley. It's a city. But there are trees. There are flowers. There are homes. There are other people. There are shops. And and during that ride, every morning, I take a deep breath and notice fragrances that are uh, that are happening, that that are delightful. I mean, I smell a tree blooming or a, a, a patch of flowers, or I see a person who, again, is maybe singing to themselves with their earbuds in, or I see another bicycle rider, <laughs> and and. I just try to really notice those things and revel in the, the, the fortune that, that I enjoy to, to be in that moment and on my way to work and, and outdoors and in the fresh air. That, that's my practice. It's not a long ride, but it's a delightful one, and it gets my day started quite well. It sounds like a beautiful way to start the day. Emiliana, if my listeners want to learn more about the Expanding Gratitude Project, where can they go? Yeah, so at the Greater Good Science Center, we've been running a project called Expanding the Science and Practice of Gratitude for coming on eight or nine years now. To learn more about it, you can go to the Greater Good Science Center, which is greatergood.berkeley.edu, or to the GGSC website, which is ggsc.berkeley.edu, or if you're really practically focused, you just want to get right down to the activities and the exercises, you can go to our website called ggia.berkeley.edu. That's stands for Greater Good in Action, and it's basically a library of exercises and activities and practices for many different skills, but gratitude is one of them. And um, they've all been drawn from research, and so we know that the, the, that they work because they've been demonstrated to do so in, in scientific studies. So those are the different ways you can find out more about the Expanding the Science and Practice of Gratitude project. Well, I am incredibly, sincerely grateful for you, for the work that you've undertaken and for you taking the moments now to share all that amazing information with us today. It's been a delight and it's always an honor to have a chance to talk about the ideas that matter most to me, to share the studies and the expertise that I've been trying to hone for the last few decades of my life. Um, I know people could be doing a lot of other things with their time um, and it's it's meaningful to me when people dedicate their attention to to listening and um, I, I really benefit from, from, from feeling like what I do matters and, and is making a difference in the world. So thank you for including me in your podcast. It's been a pleasure. The US President John F. Kennedy once said, as we express our gratitude, we must never forget that the highest appreciation is not to utter words, but to live by them. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and give thanks for all you have to be grateful for. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. 
Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash The Wellness Couch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.